Welcome to the Octopi Podcast. On this episode, Paul and Matt are going to talk about everybody's favorite exciting topic, meetings. Specifically, should you have facilitated meetings? And if so, what makes a good facilitator? All that and more right now. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is Matt Dunsmore from Octopi. I am joined today by Paul Walker, also of Octopi fame. Paul, welcome. Glad to be here. For those who don't know, Paul is our resident expert on all things self-organization, self-management. Um, and as a component of that, it's something that Paul and I have worked on together over the years and that I think both of us are, are pretty passionate about is, is meetings, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, that we are passionate about meetings, but I think it's safe to say that you and I both think meetings have a big impact. They also have a large impact on how we approach the work, how we get the work done, how we communicate, and so how we meet is very important. And so today, what we thought we would talk a little bit about and why I wanted to pick Paul's brain specifically is the idea of how we can meet more effectively, specifically in relation to facilitated meetings. I know that that's not the most common thing for everybody in organizations. A lot of us just have kind of self-led meetings, but Paul has been an expert meeting facilitator for years. I mean, Paul, how long have you been doing a lot of these meeting facilitations in self-organized systems? How many years probably? It has, it's been a number of years and I actually just realized you are the one that taught me to facilitate uh, maybe what, seven, eight years ago? That sounds, yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe eight years ago. That's yeah, and then as, as you went off to do other things, I just stayed uh, facilitating for, for quite a while. You, you mastered the craft. The That's right, exactly. So I would love to hear, you've probably learned a ton in the time between when you and I were facilitating together and now, and so I guess what I'll start with is the question of, you and I see a clear value in having meetings that are facilitated, but people who don't have that experience may not see the value. So I guess the first question to really start with is, why should people have facilitated meetings in general? Yeah, good question. I think it really boils down to a mix of individual needs and preferences, different personality types, as well as just how that team or how that organization functions. Facilitated meetings, if you have a good facilitator, can really, really help improve the feeling of equality on a team, giving everybody an equal voice. I know from my own experience, the concept of a facilitated meeting is actually the the first thing that got me interested in self-management concepts in the first place, because I, I am the type of person that no matter how much I know about a subject, no matter how much an expert I may be or how confident I am, as soon as anybody talks over me, I will just stop talking, shut down and not say anything until I'm called upon. So for years I was, you know, we were on the email team together. And after you left for years, I had been on this team. I was uh, one of the trainers, and yet in meetings, I just never said anything because there were other people who were, you know, quicker to speak up, maybe talk over people, feel like I never got a word in. Right. And then I heard this concept of like, oh, in these meetings, people can't interrupt you. And that was really what got me into it. And then the reason I decided I wanted to be in this field, facilitating meetings, teaching other people, was I wanted to help other people like me who had stuff to say, who had ideas, but maybe just didn't feel confident or didn't want to interrupt anybody or didn't value their voice. And so facilitated meetings are really good at 
kind of putting everyone on an equal playing field. I agree. One of the things that drew me to it is as well as much of an outspoken kind of person that I am, I very much am the same as you when it comes to meetings. And I think even if you're not in that same category as you and I of, I'd rather just shut up and let the meeting go than hop in or force myself into a conversation. Even if you're not one of those people, you may have, uh, chances are that you've been one of those people who have sat in a meeting and just heard someone and gotten really frustrated because one person or two people just dominated the entire conversation and didn't invite anyone else into the dialogue. And it felt like the meeting itself just nothing actually was taken care of. It was really just basically a show between these one or two people and the rest of us were just kind of there watching and getting more and more frustrated. So I think you make a great point of these meetings when you, when you bring in a facilitator, one of the outcomes that's really helpful is the ability for them to even out the voice. Even if, you know, you may have still have those outspoken people, your facilitator can bring others into the conversation, those wallflowers, or even just, you know, cutting off some of the people who tend to just overpower everybody else in the meeting. So I, I see a huge value there. What other kinds of benefits do you see aside from that for groups when a facilitator steps in and runs a meeting rather than leaving them kind of to their own devices? A number of different things. One is that in general, again, if, if facilitated really well, is it can make meetings far more efficient. I think many of us have experienced meetings where you go in and for an hour or two hours, nothing really feels like it gets done. feels like we just ramble back and forth about the same topic the, the whole time. So it can help a lot at really defining, we're going to talk about these things for this long. We're going to get some next actions. We're going to get things done. So it can very much improve efficiency as well as a lot of the times lessening drama because one, the first point we mentioned, if everybody feels like they have a voice, then that can help prevent some problems that maybe other people wouldn't have been aware of. People feel, you know, more included part of the team as well as keeping things focused on individual topics at hand. So instead of continuously going in different directions without actually getting to the core, you can always circle back and say, hey, right now we're actually talking about this thing. So let's get this figured out first and then we'll you know, address your concerns one at a time. And that really helps keep the focus and attention moving in a productive direction. Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed in facilitated meetings, specifically in the formats that you and I have facilitated in, I have noticed that there is, you know, if left to on our own devices in a regular team, a self-led meeting, where we, even if we have an agenda, right, a lot of times there's almost shiny object syndrome of one person brings up a topic and anybody who has anything to say about anything related to that topic goes, oh, this is my chance to get this off my chest. And then they just all jump in and it could be something as simple as, you know, maybe I have a question about the holiday party and where it's going to be located. And I just bring that up in the meeting of, hey, does anybody have details on the holiday party? And suddenly everyone who has a question about the holiday party of what are we eating? Can we bring plus ones? What's the dress code? 
is there someone in charge of decorations? What's the budget on this? How come we're spending money on this and not that? You know, the conversation kind of balloons into this really inefficient, to your point, conversation that, that may answer a couple of surface level questions, but never really gets to the heart of maybe even the original thing that I brought up the entire conversation about, right? Maybe someone gets so distracted by the other things people are asking that I get kind of left out in the cold until, you know, we get to five minutes left in the meeting and someone goes, um, what was the original question here? And we go, oh yeah, here's the thing that you asked really quick answer. And then we've got no time for the next two items or three items on the agenda. So I a hundred percent agree that it can add, especially if you've got a really skilled facilitator, it can add some of that efficiency into your meetings. I think the question that kind of naturally comes next is do all meetings need that, right? Are, are some meetings better for facilitation or is it that across the board, if you have a facilitator in every meeting, it will be beneficial. What types of meetings typically benefit most from adding in a facilitator? So ultimately my feedback for this is pretty much the same answer that I give for virtually every aspect of implementing a change in an organization. And that is, it should be taken on a team by team basis based on what, the, what their needs are. So if you have a room of 10 people and from an outsider perspective, it looks like it's just people yelling at each other for an hour straight, but they all walk out of that meeting feeling fine. There's a lot of stuff that got accomplished. They all feel good about it. And all of them are like, no, great meeting. Uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Then no matter what it looks like, if they all feel like it was valuable, then I wouldn't even bother changing anything and just let them be. However, I've almost never seen that be the case. Most of the time, <laughs> there are some things people would say they'd like to do better. Like, I, I wish I had more chance to speak up. I wish, you know, this person didn't interrupt as much. I wish we were more productive with our time. A any request at all. And so if there's any of those instances of our meeting could be more efficient in some way, then I think it would be beneficial to add a facilitator, even if it's only for that thing. Like, you could have a facilitator and just say, hey, Billy, your job is to stand in the corner and say something if you see somebody interrupting. Don't worry about anything else. We're good with time. You know, we're, we're good with everything else. There's just interruptions. And that is still meeting facilitation and easy to do. So I, I'd say it comes down to the needs of the team. But also, like with a lot of other cases, you want to side with the lowest common denominator, for, for lack of a better word, of like, again, if you have a team of nine people, of 10 people, and nine of them are like, nah, our meetings are perfect. And there's one person in that room who says, no, I, I never really get a chance to speak. Then it would help the team overall to have a facilitator in that room because you'll get that last team member on the same page with everyone else. Yeah. Leveling the playing field, right? A little bit. Exactly. So I guess the question is, so you and I have primarily our experience and correct me if I'm wrong, I can, I can only speak for myself, but when I have served in a facilitator capacity or had been in facilitated meetings, a large portion of them have been specifically in holacracy. And those meetings have a very formalized structure and flow. And, you know, there's an agenda where at this point, you can't do certain things at this point where you can do certain things. Like there's a lot of rules that go along with those meetings as they do with a lot of stuff in holacracy. And so I guess my question is, do you need a very structured environment, a, a you know, meeting with an agenda and rounds and things like that, that people can follow along? Or 
if we are one of those teams that are very much like we don't come in with an agenda, we just come in with a topic or every week we have this, this meeting and whoever has stuff on their chest just comes in and gets, you know, gets it off their chest. Those reform type meetings are facilitators going to add much value there as well? Or is it pretty much only if they can come in with the expectations of here are the rules, here's how the flow is supposed to go? Uh, yeah, I 100% don't think there needs to be any structure at all. A lot of teams or organizations have a specific meeting structure. And again, that goes back to that concept of whatever your team's needs are, if you need more structure in your meetings, because there is none, by all means, you can do that. But honestly, where a, a lot of I have seen all my success when it comes to facilitation and my my team that I used to work with, you know, at Zappos, where once we kind of started steering away from focusing on the structure and more what good are we trying to accomplish? Why am I in this meeting facilitating? Once it became less about I'm just here to enforce rules and more about I'm here to help them have productive meetings, that made everything far, far more efficient. And a lot of that approach was, especially if you have you know new people new to the team or the company who maybe haven't learned a particular structure yet, if there even is one, I think if you focus on a couple key concepts that are pretty inherent to just general facilitation, you can use them in any situation, in any team, any industry, uh, even personal life, like myself and everybody I, I know who was experienced with facilitation, eventually started using it in personal life as well. You know, like how many times have you had a family gathering and everyone's trying to decide, hey, where do we go for dinner? And they could just argue for a half hour straight about, you know, are we going to Taco Bell or Joe's Crab Shack? And <laughs> I, I hope really those aren't the final two <laughs> options for any family when it comes to an outing. I love Taco Bell, but if those are my <laughs> last two options at a family outing, it's I feel a, like we're, uh, we're, we're not heading the right direction. It's a very sad family gathering. You know how it is. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. Continue. <laughs> good. That's a good call. That's actually the most valuable call out of this podcast. <laughs> But, you know, those sort of situations have, I have facilitated these real life situations for myself and for other people and kind of out of nowhere, you know, and I didn't jump in and say, all right, everybody sit down and we're going to do some scrum ideals or like, we're going to have a Holacracy tactical meeting. And I like, nobody would have had any idea what I was talking about. So instead I just jumped in with these real basic concepts that apply to everything I've ever facilitated or it's just understanding what people's needs are, how to meet them in the middle, how to make sure everybody's cooperating toward this goal, what the point of this particular thing is, uh, you know, being empathetic to both sides. So yeah, I, I don't think there needs to be a structure whatsoever. It's just kind of general facilitation tips. There's a few things that can benefit any situation. So what I'm hearing is it's less around needing or having a formalized structure more around understanding your context, understanding your purpose, understanding the people in the room, and really just sourcing yourself from a place of service. And those are kind of going to carry you as a facilitator into being a more effective tool for many managing the time, if you will. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have any ideas for, you know, what are some good characteristics or what are some maybe good best practices for someone who is thinking about either themselves becoming a facilitator or maybe I'm looking for, okay, you've convinced me in this conversation. I should have a facilitator. 
what should I look for as far as maybe people in my company or on my team or maybe outside of my team? Uh, what are some things you would suggest people look for or maybe just some uh, things that they do as far as best practices? Uh, so first, I'd say kind of take all these with a, a with a grain of salt in the sense of kind of, as I mentioned earlier, every team will need different things, you know, and I've seen some teams that are super comfortable with conflict and, and they've said like, Hey, if we start arguing with each other, just let us work it out. We always work it out. And so as a facilitator in, in that particular setting, they don't need somebody who's good at cutting stuff off and redirecting conversation. Maybe they're just there to help with time constraints. So that's something you always want to keep in mind is some teams have very specific needs. Aside from that, in general, a few of the things that, that you want to look for. One is somebody who is comfortable holding everyone in that meeting equally accountable, speaking up to everyone the same, potentially interrupting or cutting off everyone the same, whether it's for time or they're going off track. And a lot of times that means somebody who isn't even part of the team. They have no no stake in the matter. They don't have to worry about upsetting the manager in that room or things like that. And there's plenty of people on a team who will be like, no, I have no problem cutting my manager off because they know I'm coming from the place as just a facilitator and it's not like a personal attack or something. So just knowing that whoever is filling that role of facilitator will actually treat everyone equally. That is a hugely important aspect, whether they are a part of the team somewhere else in the company, an outside consultant, whatever else. Another aspect, which I think is probably the most important, is being empathetic in terms of, uh, I mean, a lot goes into that, but understanding that if somebody comes in there and says, this is what I need, like really understanding, ideally approaching it from the aspect of like, this isn't just this person, hopefully in most cases, this isn't this person trying to cheat the system to you know, win and get their way and stuff like that. It's no, this, this person senses some sort of need. They may not know how to articulate it in a non-confrontational way. They may be making it way too heavy handed or things like that. But if you look past the particular solution and focus on like, what, what is the specific problem that they need to solve? And the best way to find that is being empathetic, not like, Hey, Billy, be quiet, calm down. Just tell me one thing, make it simple. But like, Hey, I hear you're saying A, B, and C. Like, what do these have in common? If you could only solve one problem that would address these things, what, what would that be? And understanding that aspect, because if you can anchor on this person has one particular need, one problem they need to solve, then it's a lot easier to move through the rest of that meeting without getting sidetracked, staying on topic, and, and so on. Uh, similarly, when other people in that meeting maybe have, have problems or kind of speak up against an idea, Again, focusing it on like, okay, well, you're not being angry just for the sake of being angry. You know, you might have personal issues with this guy, but there's something here. Uh, right. so, so what's going on? What's the particular problem that you're feeling? Is it frustration because these things happen a lot? Is it there's no clarity and so you're, you, you feel scared right now? Like, like what is it? So being able to be empathetic is extremely important. And is, and is like, a, at least in my experience, a night and day difference on level of facilitation. So that's another piece. And then another kind of kind of minor one, but it comes up a lot is when it comes to managing time. And an easy piece with that is you don't necessarily have to be like super heavy handed on every single minute of the meeting, but just little, little things you can do. Like for, for myself, one thing I do is if I know how much time we have in the meeting, you know, we have one hour in the meeting, 
then when we're building the agenda, like how many things do we need to talk about? I kind of just look up, okay, we have six items. We got one hour. Everybody gets 10 minutes tops to talk about their thing. And then every item or every couple items giving a new update based on some people are going to finish quickly, leaving more time. Some people may need a little bit longer. So just constantly giving that update of we have this many items left, this much time left in the meeting. So at around this mark, around three minutes, I'm, I'm going to cut you off. And, and that helps a lot to kind of help people almost self-facilitate, be aware of the time. Yeah, I see a lot of advantage in someone who can approach the act of facilitating as a little bit of coaching so that people can self-service, right? So let's say someone is talking over someone else, rather just like cutting them off and being like, hey, cut that out. Really just saying like, hey, I want to maintain focus on the item we're working on right now. We'll come back to that. You know, just something simple that really gives the context of here's why I'm doing this thing so that we can avoid having to even call that out next time, right? Getting those good behaviors, those desirable meeting behaviors ingrained in the people as you go, whether that is like you're mentioning, calling out timing, like, all right, that last item took about 15 minutes, which means that the rest of these have about 40 minutes to get through all the rest of the six items or calling out some specific things of, hey, in this next section, we have a history of slowing ourselves down because we get caught up on this thing or because we're cracking jokes on this. So I'm going to be watching out for that this time. Just so you know, please don't take it personally. I just want to make sure we get this stuff done. I think you know, the word that I, I use typically is inoculating against stuff, uh, which is basically just like making sure that like before we even begin, I have given you the preface of you know, my role, why I'm doing what I'm doing so that you know when I have to hop in. It's not a personal attack. It's not because I dislike you or I disagree with what you're saying, but it's because this is my job. I'm just trying to help as much as I can and, and I'm showing you where I'm like sourcing myself from and doing that. The things I would add on to what you said is, and I think, I think probably their extensions or maybe even just, you know, what you've talked about played out a little bit farther down the road. But one thing I think that I've seen as well when looking for someone who, if I'm trying to, as a leader, identify on my team, who could be a good facilitator fit. Is there someone that is particularly a calming presence on the team? Is there someone who, when things get heated, if people are fired up and you know there's that, that sense of tension in the room, that person who maybe they cut it with humor, Maybe they're, you know, and I, I think this stems from being empathetic, like you were talking about, Paul, is they, they see where people are at. They understand why they're coming from the places that they're coming from, and they do a really good job of maybe diffusing what could potentially be a tense situation, which hopefully you don't have too much of on your team, but still, occasionally these things will happen. There will be disagreements. There will be times where if you have people who are passionate about the work that they do, inevitably, you will have times where if something goes against their wishes or not like they wanted, they're going to get fired up about it because maybe they've invested time, energy into this thing, and now they're finding out that the plan has changed. And so one thing that I always recommend people looking for is someone who has the ability to ease tension in a room. So if you have one of those people, that's a good place to start. And another thing that I mentioned, I think is along those same lines, is someone who can remain human yet objective. Meaning when you and I talk a little bit about 
meeting facilitation, sometimes we refer to it as you're kind of the referee on the playing field, right? You are the person who is, you know the rules, you're making sure we all kind of stay accountable. You know what your role is, is really just to keep things moving. It's not to insert yourself into the game. It's really just to make sure that we're all getting a chance to play on a level playing field. And so finding that person who is able to stay objective, even when they may have a personal stake in the matter. And, you know, I think about who is that person who you would go to advice for, honest advice for, not just someone who would gas you up because they're your friend, but do you have one of those friends who you would go to advice for to say like, honestly, give me real feedback here. Am I in the wrong or what's your perspective on this? And you know, they're going to be honest with you, even though you're your friend you probably have some similar types of relationships with your team at work of there's definitely people who can form clicks and, and have each other's backs and better friends on the team versus some other people. And so knowing that they have this sense of authority as a facilitator who on the team would take that seriously and not let their friends get away with stuff versus other people. So back to what you said about, you know, being able to cut off the manager and things like that. Like, are you, are you comfortable cutting off a leader but also your own friends, right? How objective can you stay when the subject matter might be something that's going to impact you and you have a very strong opinion? Are you going to use your authority as the facilitator to insert yourself into the conversation maybe more than you know another facilitator might allow you to? And so those are some things that I would say if you can think about working in your team and doing some facilitation, looking for that facilitator, those are some things I would say to keep your, your eyes on as well. I 100% agree on all of that. And I think that also circles back to a point you brought up moments ago that I was planning to mention also of like, you, you, you call it inoculating. You know, I, I was thinking the, the way I normally talk about it is like proactively setting expectations. That's a better way and, of saying it. Oh, let's be honest. No, no, I like, <laughs> I like inoculating. That's what we're going with now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that that was something that, for me helped tremendously. And whenever I would train other facilitators, try to get them into this habit one, cause it kind of helps improve self-awareness, but it also takes so much pressure off your shoulders. Normally you walk into a room and you're like, I have to be the perfect facilitator. I have to catch everything. I have to know when things go off topic. You know, I have to be willing to confront anyone. Like it can be overwhelming and you know, you, you want to be the best facilitator you can be, but you also don't want to come across as, too rules heavy or you know coming across uh like it like a jerk because you're cutting off everything and one of the things that i found most helpful was anytime i would start a meeting especially if it was like a new team that i hadn't facilitated with before starting off with here's how i facilitate you know here's how how things are going to work and tailoring that around especially my own weaknesses so for me i was like i know to this day i still struggle with interrupting people. Because I mentioned earlier, if you if you interrupt me, I'll just be quiet. So I normally never interrupt anyone and I hate doing it, even in meetings, but I knew I had to as a facilitator. And so I would go in and set this expectation of like, okay, if I interrupt you, it's it's nothing personal. It's it's not to be rude. It's honestly just because I'm either watching out for the time or I think it may be going off topic or whatnot. So so just you know be aware of that. And I'd always worry if like, am I being too rules heavy? Am I not being neutral? Kind of, as you mentioned before, of, you know, always worrying about that neutrality. Am I, especially if it's a a team that I have some stake in, am I accidentally abusing my power or having bias in some way? 
calling that stuff out too of like, hey, I'm going to try to be as neutral as I possibly can. But if I do something that seems unfair that you don't think would have happened with another facilitator or anything like that, if you're comfortable, call me out right then. Otherwise, you know, pull me after the meeting and, and let me know so that I can improve because this is what I want to do. And so being able to call all these things out proactively and setting these expectations, both for yourself and the team. Again, like you mentioned, if you know a team has a history of doing something, it would, in my experience, it helped tremendously to always go into those meetings saying, hey, we always do this. You know, we're going to be watching out for that. Try not to interrupt each other. Try to, you know, give time for this. And um, so proactively setting those expectations for yourself and the room of people that you're in can, can help a lot to take the burden off and make your job easier. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think it's, it's almost like you're just saying like, hey, don't make me the bad guy, right? I don't want to have to interrupt you. I don't want to. And I think that's something that sets up you and your group for a lot of success is whoever you, whether it's you that's facilitating or if you choose someone who is a facilitator, if that person has the space and comfort to call out those expectations early on, and just be real and be honest and set it and just say, you know, here's where I'm coming from. I would rather not have to cut people off. So just make sure everyone knows what the expectations are. And then if it comes down to it and you do have to, like Paul said, if you have to interrupt someone, then they know, ooh, I'm so sorry that I made you interrupt me, Paul. I, I didn't mean to, right? Because they know how much that hurts him to do that. And so I think that also... The interesting thing is, is when you create those clear expectations as a facilitator, what you do is you actually create empathy on the other side for the attendees towards you and yourself. Whereas it's great for you to be empathetic as the facilitator, but what you can do is create some of that almost reverse empathy for you where they can see where you're coming from and they also want to help you out, which I think is pretty cool. One, one other question that I have, and I think this probably is on a lot of people's minds is right now, especially with probably more people than ever working from home, we're having a lot of virtual meetings. And with that, you know, in-person facilitation is one thing, but when it comes to virtual meeting facilitation, that seems like it would be a little bit tougher. So do you have any call outs of like what might be different or if there's things that you think could be more useful, like actually this makes facilitation easier virtually, those kinds of things. So do you mind calling out some of those things, recommendations or watch outs that you have when it comes to virtual meeting facilitation? Uh, I think there's a few things, whether or not it's easier or harder. Um, I, I think that's kind of on the fence. Overall, I'd say probably a little harder just in the sense that one thing that always helped me a lot when I was facilitating is even there'd be times I just sat in the corner quietly for like an hour straight just because the room, like, you know, they barely needed me to, to hop in and do things. But being able to just stand there and watch other people's body language to see like, oh, you know, they, they have something to say, but they don't have a chance. I'll make sure to circle back with them. Or if somebody is interrupting or doing something distracting, instead of having to call them out, you could just walk over and tap them on the shoulder silently without interrupting the meeting and stuff like that. But I think there's benefits to it also. Something that's normally normally creates a lot of terrible situations on the internet, but I think most people are a lot braver online when things aren't face-to-face, -face, which can help facilitation is I'm, I'm probably more comfortable cutting people off on Zoom than I would be face-to-face -face just because it's easier to be confident and to feel safe, you know, in the safety of our own home behind a screen and things like that. So I think there's that benefit. 
The main thing I recommend, which I have to do every time I facilitate virtually, is even more so than normal, setting those expectations so that it works better for me. For example, one of the clients that I had to facilitate with, they, they had an office room back when people could meet in offices, and there was, there was one webcam that showed the whole table, but how people normally sat at the table, you couldn't see everybody. And so for the sake of facilitating, I always had to ask either, can we have everyone scooch their chairs so that everyone's in frame so I can see and address everybody? Or at the very least, if I was confident, I was like, okay, I know there's just one person out of camera on each side. Then I was always asked to make sure like, hey, can you let me know who's sitting where, like what their names are, whatnot, just so I can keep track of, I only see six people on the screen, but I know there's eight people here's the two other ones so I can make sure I still address them and they're still getting their opinions. And when I hear somebody's voice, but I don't see anyone talking, I know who it is. Another thing you can do is ask everyone to keep the chat box open because you might individually like message people one-on-one to either say like, this person's actually talking right now. Can you give it a minute? So you don't have to interrupt the whole meeting or, you know, asking little questions here and there or let people know, Hey, I saw you needed to talk. I'll get to you in just a minute. So being able to chat with people one-on-one without having to interrupt the whole meeting, that can help a whole lot as well. So again, I'd just say it comes back to figure out what works for you and it, it will be trial and error. And then just go into those meetings, setting those expectations. I think too, I love that you mentioned the chat box because it gives you the opportunity for when, you know, I, I hate making people feel like they're being put on blast. And I think it's similar to why you probably don't like cutting people off. We feel like it makes them feel bad. And so what you can do on virtual meeting facilitation, especially on a platform like Zoom or Google or Microsoft Teams or any of those kinds of things, when you have the chat box open as the facilitator is being able to maybe call out some of the things that you're seeing in private messages to people as someone's maybe making a presentation. So maybe you see somebody is posting in the chat that's distracting or or doing something that is keeping someone else disengaged. You can privately message them and say like, hey, keep an eye on this just so you know everybody can see that you're doing this, something like that. And the same thing for uh, the actual speaker. So maybe they've been kind of pontificating on the same subject for a long time. Uh, what you can say is like, hey, quick time check, we're 10 minutes in. You can send that message to them privately instead of sending it in front of everybody or, or making that call out and just say, we still need to get through about six agenda items. So can you focus on what you need to get out of this? So I think those are some some things that you can't do in a physical meeting facilitation that is actually kind of nice that you can do in a virtual environment as well. So I was glad you called that out. Yeah, 100% agree on that. I've, I've been on both sides of that and uh, having somebody being able to message me while I'm presenting and losing track of time helps tremendously. <laughs> Agreed. Well, you know how we like to end the show, Paul, which is a little segment we call Una Cosita Mas, which means one Bien. more little thing. Thank you. Nailed it. So, you know, if you've got someone that's at home that is listening to this and is thinking about either facilitating themselves or maybe finding a facilitator or even just trying out a format that would lend itself to meeting facilitation. Any of these things that we've kind of talked about today, do you have a good way for maybe them to test some of these things out or to just a a place for them to start a one step that they can take that would give them maybe some validation on if this is the right move for them? 
one thing that I, I didn't think I would ever recommend uh, is something Holacracy specific. Normally, the bits and pieces of Holacracy are way more complicated than they need to be. But one thing I do think helps tremendously is if you look into Holacracy, try to find a blog or something on it rather than looking up the Holacracy Constitution specifically, which is an option if you love rules. But part of one of their meeting structures is called the Integrative Decision-Making Process, or IDM. And there's a step-by-step, very rules-heavy process on how to handle this. But the concept, uh, if you can kind of try to find a simplified version of it, is extremely efficient when it comes to meeting facilitation, no matter what the structure, personal life stuff. And it's basically just this concept of notice that one person has a problem, try to solve it. If the way they want to solve it causes a problem for other people, then you'd kind of just go back and forth until you find something that works for both parties. And that Mm -hmm. system can be used no matter how you meet, personal life, work, whatever the case is something to possibly look into as a, as a starting point for learning where to facilitate. I 100% agree with you, Paul. It was one of my favorite aspects of Holacracy that I practiced because it got you in the right mindset in the decision-making process. It cleared the space for trial, for the human piece of, we'll throw something against the wall, see if it sticks. It, it gave you room for that. It, it eliminated the space for fear as an excuse not to do something. And I love that. So I think there's multiple benefits to trying out IDM in your organization. So uh, 100% second what Paul said. If you can find an article or a video or anything like that explaining it, highly recommend you checking that out and trying it out in your meeting. Well, thank you so much for joining today, Paul. uh, As always, I appreciate your thoughts and perspectives and I hope this has been helpful for everybody at home. So thanks again and we will see you next time.